Hi there, really good to see you. And if I can extend my welcome at the top of this service to you, particularly if you're visiting us or you're with us for the first time, it's really good to have you with us. As a church, we're, we're just journeying through the book of Daniel in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And we're looking at various themes that we can pull out from that book. We've looked at the yearning in the heart of Daniel, longing for the things of God. We've looked at repentance, turning from what you know is wrong. Daniel prays this heartfelt prayer, beseeching God to forgive the people's sin, to bring them back into right relationship. And it's that heart attitude of Daniel that enables him to interpret. That's our theme today, interpret. Working out what God is revealing to us, working out what's going on around us so that we can speak truth into our contexts and situations. That's easier said than done. I remember just hearing of two fish, they were swimming along and uh, another fish is coming in the opposite direction. And as he passed them, he says, hey guys. And the fish goes, hey. Uh, and the fish says, uh, what do you think of the water? And the first fish turns to the second fish and says, what's water? I first heard that joke uh, told by Tim Keller, who's the former pastor of Presbyterian Redeemer Church in, uh, in Manhattan, New York. And he, he's a, like a well-renowned Christian speaker and he told that joke at a conference. And somehow when he told it, it seemed to be funnier. It's a classic preacher's joke, not because it's not particularly funny, but because it has a point. And the point is this, that when you're a fish, you've only ever been surrounded by water. It's just immersed you. You've been immersed in it the whole of your life. And so it becomes incredibly hard to know what water actually is because you can't get outside of it in order to get some kind of perspective on it. You, you can't fully appreciate what it is that you're completely immersed in and surrounded by. And it's the same with us and our culture. Culture is just the, the way things are. It's the way we do things around here, the way in which things are done. Culture. And, and we are surrounded by it. It informs us, it shapes us, it, it maybe squeezes us into its mould. And to an extent, we kind of, we go along with it, mainly because it's really hard to discern exactly what it is that we're going along with. But, but leave our culture and go into a foreign culture. For example, if you were you able to jump on a plane and, and fly to, to Delhi or Calcutta in India, then you'd be immersed in a very different culture. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the customs, the food, all of it would assault your senses. And you'd, you'd immediately recognize, in fact, they talk about that they culture shock you're shocked into recognizing that everything that surrounds you now is very different from what you're used to. And it gives you 
a, a perspective, a standpoint, a viewpoint, if you like, with which to view your own culture, which up until then you, you, you couldn't fully appreciate, grasp or measure. So important for the ability to interpret. That's why the book of Daniel is, I think, so apt for us seeking to live as Christians in Western culture. What is it about Western culture surrounding us all the time, ever present, the way things are and the way things are done that is shaping and squeezing us into its mould? What can we do as people of God to step out of the culture sufficiently that we might be able accurately to interpret its powers and persuasions, its undercurrents and flows, what it's saying to us, how it's enticing us. Daniel was able to live, as Lydia was saying last week, kind of standing in the gap between two cultures. Born and brought up in Jerusalem, he's carried away to Babylon as a young man. And he's in something of a culture shock. But, but interestingly, he, he lives the whole of his life, quite a long life, in Babylon. And yet, even though all of his adult life is in Babylon, he never loses that, that root in him, the heart in him that is Jerusalem. And as we've seen in previous weeks, although they are physical cities, they also, in the Bible, they come to represent certain postures and, and standpoints. Babylon symbolises rebellion against God. It's where Babel, the, the tower built by men in resistance to God's schemes and plans. Let us make a name for ourselves, they say. Babel, Babelton, is rebellion against God. We'll do things our way. And as a result, it leads to confusion, to, to inner turmoil. We'll see that in a minute in Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And then there's Jerusalem. Jerusalem represents or symbolises the city of God. It, unlike these kingdoms that will rise and fall like Babylon, Assyria and the others, God's kingdom, symbolised by Jerusalem, will never fall. It'll, it'll run forever. And rather than, than being full of an anxious presence, it's full of the peace-filled presence of God. And Daniel surrounded by the notes of Babylon, manages to sing the song of Jerusalem in his heart. And as a result, God is able to reveal to him his plans and purposes, his truth, his reality. And Daniel is enabled, enabled to interpret this revelation and speak truth into his surroundings, speak truth into a culture that looks so gleaming, inspiring, full of power, might, splendour, but actually at its heart is crumbling. And Daniel speaks into that context and into that situation, which is why his story in his book lives for us and teaches us today. So let's hear chapter two of Daniel read for us. Um, jo, my wife, is going to bring that 
for us. The reading is from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 23. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamt. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into pieces of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have, the, you have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they don't live amongst men. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God for ever and ever. Wisdom and power his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king.
I'm up on the tower of St Dionys uh, surveying all I can see as across to uh, that will be Wandsworth Bridge over there Battersea in the in the background just over here you can just see in the in the sun as I zoom in you can see uh, the floodlights of Craven Cottage wonderful and just across Parsons Green Tube the other side of the statue there unfortunately across there you can just see Stamford Bridge in the far distance actually you can make out zoom in there can you just see the uh, the arch of Wembley Stadium and the city of Babylon in Nebuchadnezzar's day recorded in the book of Daniel was way more impressive with all due respect to South West London it was way more impressive than what we can see behind us now Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful kings of the known world and early on in his reign he conquered a number of other lands, other peoples, brought them back. He had uh, ample workforce to build ornate palaces uh, and early on in his, year, in his reign he built this incredible palace. He, he built uh, walls to uh, irrigate the, the rivers, the Euphrates, to, to kind of uh, act as a counterflow. He bought a huge, built a huge tower known as a ziggurat. You remember Babel was where they first built a tower. Human beings looking to make a name for themselves. And Nebuchadnezzar did exactly the same in Babelton. He built this uh, incredible gate, the Ashtar Gate. It was enormous. It was more than just a gate. It had turrets and walls that uh, just reached out everywhere. It was made of this incredible uh, upper level, incredible blue ceramic brick and uh, the gates themselves were, uh, they were encased in bronze and inlaid with silver and ivory and gold. And along the walls the, with the blue tiles he had depicted these, um, these great big lions, they were, they were almost life-size. And interestingly, they were, they were kind of portrayed at, at eye height. So when you walked along, you were confronted with these lions that looked like they were, they were kind of snarling at you. Lions in Babylonian culture represented one of the gods. So you were impressed by this as you walked past one of the gods looking at you at eye level. But what's even more impressive in the culture of the day that Nebuchadnezzar constructed around him was that this king could even have one of the gods adorning his city gate. He was a very powerful man, Nebuchadnezzar, and he shaped the culture of Babylon in Daniel's day. Nebuchadnezzar, strong, mighty, powerful, living in his palace, surrounded by the walls and the tower and the, and the gate with the walkway with the blue ceramic bricks and the lions. He's ruler of all he surveys. <laughs> There's always a but, isn't there? <laughs> and he's got it, he's, he's got it all. He's the king of Babylon. He's the most powerful man in the known world. And yet he has a dream. Oh, big deal. Don't we all have dreams? You and I have dreams. Apparently we dream loads of times a night, every night. We, we, we just don't remember most of them. 
Every now and then we have something that's a bit more vivid, don't we? And even then we sort of struggle to remember it. Have you, you ever had a time where you come down at breakfast and your family say, oh, I had an amazing dream last night. I can't, I can't quite remember what it was. You kind of just brush it off and head on to the rest of the day. Dreams are they kind of um, they're, they're kind of a, a gateway into our our subconscious. They they kind of reveal something of our, our dreams, our hopes, our fears. A little bit different in in Daniel's day. Dreams then were were thought not to be so much a gateway in as a gateway out and up. They they were a window into the mind of the gods. Dreams were the ways in which the gods communicated with you. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar needs to be able to recall this dream and to have it interpreted for him. What are the gods, what are the gods saying to him? Oh, well, you, you, you can't remember. N never mind. Hey, I expect you'll get another one. They'll, they'll, they'll call you up some other day. It's interesting, isn't it? This, this man, this powerful man, who, who has so much influence and sway in the culture of his day, and yet this dream is bugging him. His mind is troubled, verse one. He can't sleep. So he summons the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He's got a whole galaxy of people, a whole array all trooping in, all with their attempts to interpret this dream. Oh, they can't, it's a king, you've got to tell us what the dream is. Well, I can't remember. You tell me what the dream is. Tell me the dream and the interpretation. Oh, well, king, that's a really hard thing to, they're kind of hedging their beds, don't want to get it wrong. You look at verse five. The king replied to his astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I'll have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Wow. Um, Neb, this is kind of strong stuff. It's just a dream. I mean, chill out. He wants to know what this dream is. I'll have you cut into pieces. I mean, I mean, like, isn't just killing someone enough? Actually, cut them into bit. I'm like, how many pieces? And as if that's not enough then I'll have your houses turned into rubble. Wasn't, wasn't the kind of cutting into pieces thing enough? Ooh, Neb, this, this dream, it's really getting to you. Now this is, this is, where, we, this is where we start to interpret. When, when things get out of kilter, out of proportion, when the most powerful man in the known world is issuing angry threats, Look at, look at verse 12, when they, when they kind of prevaricate and we, we can't answer, this is too difficult, we, 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 no one can do this. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Slight overreaction? It's telling, isn't it? And this is where we, this is where we interpret. It's when, it's when the question first arises, What's going on here? What's going on around in this culture? You have a king in Babylon. Surely all is well. And one little dream. And it completely topples him. 
On the outside, he is all majesty and might and splendor and security. And on the inside, he's crumbling. Interpret. What's going on here? Question. Nebuchadnezzar. What do you want? What do you really, really want? What's gnawing away inside of you? What's robbing you of your peace? What has made you so anxious that it's spilled out into this anger, this murderous threat? Nebuchadnezzar wants, Nebuchadnezzar needs someone like Daniel. Note the contrast of Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man, and yet he's so angst-ridden and nervy, jumpy, throwing out these extraordinary threats. And here's, here's Daniel, who's the subject of the threat. In, um, in verse 14, Ariel, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He, he's got a death sentence hanging over him. He should be incredibly stressed, incredibly full of anxiety. And yet he's able to speak to someone who's part of this powerful kingdom, trusted by Nebuchadnezzar, with wisdom and with tact. And he plays for time, verse 16. He asks the king for time. And then he returns to his house and explains the matter to his friends. And he seeks their support in praying. By the way, just as an aside, have you got people you can go to to pray with and to pray for? There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We need people around us to pray into our lives, speak into our lives and support us as they pray and speak into our lives. And because of Daniel's faithfulness, because Daniel sings a song of Jerusalem, even though he's living amidst Babylon, God reveals to Daniel the dream of the king and he gives him the interpretation. And Daniel goes before the king. And I imagine taking uh, all his courage in both hands. And he lays out the dream and its interpretation. And that's in the second half of chapter two. It's a long chapter, so we didn't read the whole of it. But uh, why don't you read it for yourself, either later on today or at some stage during this week. But essentially, Daniel uh, d describes this great big statue incredibly impressive statue with a head of gold and a chest of silver and with a midriff of, and legs of bronze and feet half of iron and half of clay and uh, then suddenly this incredible impressive statue is smashed by a rock that's not made by human hands and the rock then turns into a mountain and the mountain is something that lasts forever unlike all the amazing uh, metals and ores of the, of the statue itself. And the interpretation that Daniel offers to Nebuchadnezzar is 
that all the kingdoms that will succeed Babylon will themselves fail and fall. They'll be crushed. But there's one that crushes them, not of human construction, not a human structure, this rock that becomes a mountain, that becomes the everlasting, represents the everlasting kingdom of God. His culture of peace and harmony and connectedness and wholeness, his culture, all that there is, the way we do things, will last forever and will supersede other kingdoms that live and stand for themselves. We've been thinking about culture, about stuff that is around us that influences and, and shapes us. We've looked at uh, a man who shaped the culture of his day, King Nebuchadnezzar, extraordinarily powerful man. Uh, he had everything to live for. And yet he's angst-ridden, he's desperate. He's, he's at his heart, he's insecure. He, he needs to know that the gods approve of him. And he's desperate when he doesn't have the answer to his dreams. And within what must have been a very volatile, a very uncertain um, and, and sort of shaky in terms of just the emotional sense, uh, shaky time to live in Babylon with such a, just such a sort of inconsistent king. Daniel, with full assurance, brings insight through interpretation of God's kingdom in the midst of Babylon. And the, the, the call is on our lives today to be, in this sense, Daniel's. Living in, in a Babylon, if you like, living in a culture that structures itself and sets itself up against God, sets itself up as, as a God, an idol in all the things that it pursues and seeks and encourages us to pursue. We're called to resist current culture and to interpret what God would call us to be and to do, how to live. Even in these, uh, particularly coronavirus, these, these unsettling times, to be rooted in the revelation of God and what he's shown of us through his son Jesus and by his spirit as we read his word, as we interpret it for ourselves and for others around us. The culture in which we live today is, is kind of purports to be on a kind of linear progression. That, that where we are now is not where we're ultimately going to end up, culture tells us. There's a kind of a utopia that we should aim for. And the, the culture sort of markets, the Western commercials, consumerist culture, it kind of markets the, the perfect image. This is where you should be. This is what you should be doing. This is how you should look. This is how much you should earn. These are what your friends should look like. This is where you should party. Are you not shopping here? You're not holidaying there? You're not driving this? Well, you haven't quite arrived. Utopia is just still beyond your reach. But, but work harder, try harder, and you'll achieve these dreams, these goals. But, but all the things that this culture holds out are that they're gods, they're idols. They, they are not the one true 
everlasting God. They are just creations, images and ideologies that cannot last. And because they cannot last, they can't sustain that everlasting longing that is inside each and every one of our hearts. It was in Nebuchadnezzar, longing to be affirmed by the gods, despite all that he had around him, everything in his possession. He's so insecure, his mind is troubled. And our culture, <laughs> surrounded by a kind of, it's much harder to sort of quantify it because we live amongst it. It's really hard to appreciate that it's all around us when it's all we've ever known. But it's like a Nebuchadnezzar. It, it, it glitters, it's, it's dazzling, and yet it, it creates in us a weird insecurity. Whether it's the, the kind of images on the billboards and ads or the pop-ups on our screens of the kind of perfect home or the ideal family. We sort of look on social media at all the other posts of other people and we, we find ourselves thinking, I, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. My kids don't behave like your kids appear to. I don't seem to be enjoying myself in the way that you are. I don't seem to have it all together in the way that you seem to. And the message we get through the, the bombardment of our culture incessantly speaking to us is I'm, I'm falling short, I'm, I'm failing. As the culture says, it, it kind of drives a, on a, a, a sort of diet of dissatisfaction that, that we, we, we want more to, to, to progress along this line of, towards utopia. And yet, and yet it, its foundation is insecure and it, it, it promotes in us if we buy into it, literally buy into it, the consumerist culture, it, it, it creates in us a kind of anxiety that's gone often express itself actually in either a kind of depression or, or lashing out and anger. I want to slay people to pieces and bring down all their houses. We need to, to see that revealed in our hearts and minds. We need, like Daniel, to understand that God's kingdom can be and is being established in amongst the Babylon around us. That when we live in, in line with his plans and purposes, we don't live in rebellion, building our own Babel towers, we will find ourselves less confused inside. We'll have, like Daniel, wisdom, tact and poise. We will speak with authority in such a way that we can change the heart of a king. We can change culture. There's no progress without presence. The presence of God. That is what eternity is. It's just everlasting with God in Jesus Christ. It's his eternal presence. And by his spirit, he, he gives us his presence now to prepare us for his presence then. There's no human progress without presence. When Jesus taught his disciples, he used an analogy of a, of a vine he said, my father's like a gardener. I am the vine rooted in his love. And you, he says to the followers, he says to you and I, you are to abide in me, live in me and allow my life to live in you. Abide in me, he says, and I in you. 
and you will bear much fruit. It's not about endlessly trying to get more things or to be whoever it is that we aspire to be on this utopia that can never ultimately satisfy. No, it's about, it's about abiding in Jesus, living in him, enjoying his presence so that our lives might be fruitful. And then we'll hear God because we'll know him. He'll be present in us and we'll see his plans and purposes with prophetic eyes around us. We'll be able to speak into culture, to critique where it is going astray, robbing us of true freedom, peace and joy. And we'll speak into our lives and into the lives of others in a way that makes sense. Just as Daniel could turn the heart of a king, so we can turn the hearts of those around us, communities, even a nation. If the church could rise up like Daniel and take the full authority that comes through the revelation of God to interpret the times, to speak into culture, to interpret so that God's kingdom, his everlasting kingdom, may have full dominion, rule, power, influence and authority so that his name is glorified on earth as it is in heaven. love to now uh, allow a few moments for us to reflect, to be quiet before God, to think through Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar back there, back then, to think through us in our Western consumerist culture, to seek God for his revelation of the gods, the idols, that offer their siren calls to us. They hold out promise that can never ultimately fulfill or satisfy. So that as we yearn for the things of God, as we repent from walking away from him, we might interpret where he's calling us to be and to live and to act and to walk in 21st century Western civilization. Let's pause, let's reflect, let's hear God speak to us again.